Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Ethan. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good as well. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the ongoing NCAA investigation and a couple comments that were made about it. Herm Edwards, Ray Anderson, and Michael Crow all gave radio interviews to Arizona Sports 98.7 FM, which sparked a lot of conversation throughout the ASU community and also led to us at Sun Devil Source being able to report on things that directly contradicted what particularly Crow said in his comments and a little bit of what Herm Edwards said. So Chris, can you kind of go through what Michael Crow said on that interview and how it doesn't match up with what we've reported? Yeah, so essentially um, he was asked why Herm Edwards is still leading the team and his comments indicated that um, there were, quote, a collision of people who decided not to play with the, the rules related to recruiting, uh, who worked underneath Edwards, but that those people uh, are no longer with the program. Um, and he had another quote where he said, um, these are not things that he was a part of. We're looking at everything possible. He's brought a lot of talent, a lot of energy, and a lot of creativity now we're dealing with people who couldn't play by the rules and now they're gone, uh, end quote. And he also said that Edwards is doing a quote unquote outstanding job. Now, um, those comments were made on the same day that Ray Anderson also spoke um, with the same station. And uh, it really actually infuriated some people who um, had previously worked in the ASU athletic department, including in football. And a lot of the conversations that I've had with those people, uh, and I've talked to many people about this investigation over uh, since last June, when when um, the news of this first broke, um, they were they just people are really disappointed and 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 upset, in some cases angered by these comments that have been made by Michael Crow and, and to a lesser extent uh, Ray Anderson, and also by Herm Edwards. Uh, who said, and he was quoted as saying a date earlier last Tuesday, um, quote, I feel this way that when you delegate responsibility, you have to trust people. I live in a world like that. I grew up that way. I don't micromanage people. I don't understand. Pardon me. I understand that's what's going on for the most part. I understand what's going on for the most part. But at the end of the day, football's about trust, by the way. This game's built on trust. So, um, the, a lot of the conversations that I had um, had already indicated to me very clearly that Herm Edwards had participated in the recruiting infractions that ASU is alleged to have committed um, during this COVID dead period, which lasted 14 months between uh, the second part of March 2020 and then uh, until um, through May of 2021. And um, the conversations. Um, uh, were moved in a direction where people who had told me a lot of the things that they had told me off the record were then willing to let me use what they had told me on background, which means not for attribution, um, in a way that allowed me to contradict very directly what Michael Crow in particular and Herm Edwards uh, had said in those radio inter interviews. And so the, the, um, the reality of the situation is that Herm Edwards personally met with recruits 
a, a number of times and many recruits on ASU's campus during the period when it was not allowed. And he also met with um, at least two recruits at a home in Paradise Valley that was rented specifically for the purposes of recruiting uh, on ASU's behalf um, in the end of June in 2020. And these were two of ASU's top offensive targets at the time. And one of those two prospects um, had his travel arrangements paid for by a former ASU staffer. Um, so essentially Edwards met with a recruit off ASU's campus during a time when it was not allowed. And that recruit had his flight paid for by somebody who worked at ASU. Uh, now it's not clear if Edwards knew that the travel was paid for by one of his staffers, but he did definitely know that he was not allowed to meet with that recruit, those two recruits on that particular weekend on or off ASU's campus. Uh, and he also knew that he was not allowed to meet with any of the other recruits of which there were many dozens of recruits uh, during this 14 month period. And so it's very clearly the case that uh, the NCAA has also been told all of this um, by people who were in attendance at these meetings and participants uh, in some cases in these meetings. And they saw this in, in a firsthand way, some of them. Um, and so that corroborates, of course, what I have been told by, by sources um, in and around the ASU football department and the athletic department. and. Um, so that contradicts very directly the comments made by Herm Edwards, where he sort of indicated that he doesn't micromanage and he has trust for people and seemed to suggest that people violated his trust. Well, he, he, he was involved in a lot of the wrongdoing personally, uh, certainly had knowledge about a lot of it. And then um, the idea that Michael Crow would say that the people who participated are in the rule breaking are now gone. Well, that's incomplete because while yes, it is true that uh, her, uh, pardon me, Antonio Pierce, Zach Hill, Prentice Gill, uh, Adam Brenneman, and Chris Hawkins, five former ASU coaches um, who resigned or were fired um, in in this year as a result of, in part as a result of what's gone on with this NCAA investigation. Um, it, others who remain at ASU, including Herm Edwards personally, who of course is in charge of the football team, um, are still employed by ASU. So, and that is made Crow's comments, I think, very, um, look, they were either disingenuous because we also reported that ASU's compliance officials and others who work in the athletic department are, were part of the NCAA um, interviews, like they're, they're present for those interviews. And so they report to Jose Cardenas, who is the general counsel uh, for ASU and um, has a prominent role at the university. And he reports directly to Michael Crow. So either Michael Crow is, um, was being mendacious when he made those comments, knowing that they were not true, uh, or he is incredibly ignorant in almost a willful ignorant kind of a way, which would be to the to the point that I would consider to be really incompetent about the situation if he were make, to make such 
quotes and without knowing that they were inaccurate. So either way, you, you want to slice it. Um, it. It's a really bad luck for ASU's athletics and also its presidential leadership in this, in this particular situation. Yeah, and, and, and so you're talking a little bit about kind of what happened in terms of making the NCAA investigation necessary. It's been a little while since we've had a podcast and talk about this. So can you kind of just set the scene again and, and talk a little bit about the investigation itself and where it is at its current state? Right. So these things move at a glacial pace. I think a lot of people who are listening to this, they already know that from following other NCAA investigations. Sometimes they take three, four years or even more to play out. Um, This was a little bit different in that there was um, direct evidence that was provided to ASU and the NCAA at the very outset, which jumpstarted this entire process. That was um, around the very beginning of June last year. And from then until now, the NCAA has worked to uh, speak with people who are very obliquely related to this particular case, uh, recruits and others, not so much coaches at, at the initial uh, phases. Um, they, they, they obtained all of the cell phone records that they could from all the ASU's coaches and other evidence that would allow them to get a better understanding of what transpired. And then uh, more recently in the last couple months, uh, or one, one month or two months, I would say, that they have started to interview uh, people who uh, formerly were coaches at ASU um, and even current coaches at ASU. And, um, and that process is, is, is what led to the, uh, the decisions by um, Adam Brenneman to resign, Zach Hill to resign, Antonio Pierce to resign, and Chris Hawkins and, and Prentice Gill had the opportunity to resign. They chose not to because they wanted to preserve their ability to, um, to try to uh, pursue legal action that could lead to them uh, still being compensated. Whereas the others, um, they basically gave up their ability to, uh, to still be paid by the university by, by, by resigning their positions. And so um, what's going to happen now is I don't, as far as I know, I don't think all the interviews are completed. They've been working their way toward interviewing Herm Edwards. I, I have not heard if Herm Edwards has been interviewed or not yet at this point in time, but I think they will conclude their interviews sometime by this spring, if not earlier. And uh, my understanding is that there is, an, there is an expectation that the notice of allegations will be delivered from um, the NCAA to ASU which will be public uh, no later than sometime this, this summer. And that will contain a lot of the things that I have outlined and much more probably in, um, in terms of the specifics of the wrongdoing and who was responsible. Um, it won't it maybe necessarily include everything that, I, that I've said or that we will subsequently report on this, but there will be enough that people will have a very under, good understanding of, of, of what transpired and and it will validate all of this reporting that, that we're doing on this. Um, and then and then subsequently, what will happen is there, ASU will have time to sort of put together its uh, attempt at rebuttal or its ability to, to, to try to mitigate some of these assertions. Um, and I think that the process will ultimately end up in front of the, the NCAA Committee on Infractions. There, there are other ways that, that ASU could go now, uh, but 
from what I understand, the, the Committee on Infractions is probably where this will end up. But that won't take place more than likely until sometime in early or maybe later in the uh, 2023. Uh, um, so there's still quite a ways to go uh, for this entire situation to play itself out. And you, and you speak a little bit about kind of what's going to happen next. So what sort of things do you, do you see ASU doing right now to try and get ahead of the situation in terms of sanctions that you just mentioned? So, yeah, um, they ASU already decided to not allow Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards to go out on the road recruiting um, during the period in which that would be very, uh, they would be very active doing so in December and January. Um, and, um, and then ASU decided that its coaching staff would not go on the road recruiting during one of the two weeks in January it was allowed to do so. And what you will see from my sort of understanding is that they will probably have additional self-sanctions that last really throughout this entire year, which could include um, a reduction in the number of scholarships that they award for this year's team, which there's a maximum of 85, but they could be several under that or more. Um, they will not uh, host as many recruits on official visits. They will not spend as many days on the road recruiting and they will restrict the, um, the uh, amount of contact that they initiate in, in terms of recruiting. And um, the most serious possibility that exists would be to self-impose a bowl ban this year. And if you do that, even if you don't make a bowl, it still satisfies the the what you what you set out to do. And so what ultimately will happen then is the NCAA, if it ends up in terms of the in front of the committee on infractions, let's say at some point next year, they will evaluate if ASU self-imposed punishments that have already taken place are deemed to have been sufficient. Uh, or whether additional punishment is warranted both for the football program and then for any of the individual coaches who um, participated in any wrongdoing. And so um, this is why I think the self, self-imposing self bull ban is a really good idea and smart for ASU because they are facing what are called level one infractions very clearly. Uh, it's extremely serious when you have a former staff member who paid, who admitted um, apparently to have, um, you know, or was maybe not admitted, but at least was, deter- you know, found to have paid for uh, a, a, um, a travel for a recruit um, that then was visited uh, in person by your head coach during a period when it was not allowed. That's like a pretty, that's like a very serious infraction. And then just the fact that ASU uh, so pervasively had um, dozens of recruits who visited campus and um, some of them got free meals and uh, tours of the facilities and all this stuff when it was not allowed. So it, level one infractions, there's basically a, um, there's a matrix that exists on the NCAA's uh, website and, and, and some of their 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 uh, ability to sort of determine what the punishment should be for any particular situation. And ASU is looking at, in most cases, um, probably a one or a two-year bowl ban for, 
for for what transpired. That's my analysis of the situation. That's not necessarily anything that I've been told, but I think pretty clearly based on what transpired and and um, unless they have some ability to mitigate this way that I necessarily understand, uh, they will get a bull ban. And so, you know, really the idea is to try to take on as much as they possibly can of the sanctions this year under this particular coaching staff so that they're not uh, dealing with as many of those penalties in subsequent years. Yeah, and, and sanctions are a pretty big part of what people are talking about in terms of this whole conversation. But one of the, the biggest parts of this conversation is someone you've already mentioned multiple times and head coach Herm Edwards. And in, in your opinion, do you think Edwards is going to be coaching ASU in this upcoming season? Very difficult to say that. I think that there will be a continuing mounting pressure on ASU's leadership to, to not have Edwards as the head coach. Um, through reporting that we do, others will do through the notice of allegations phase, through uh, both booster pullback of, of support and, uh, and other factors. All of that can and, 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 and may have some sort of an influence on what ultimately ends up happening with Edwards. I, I think that there is still though a possibility that a pretty decent possibility, uh, maybe even a good possibility that he does coach ASU this season. Um, I do, I would say though, that it seems unlikely to me that he will be coaching ASU beyond the season. And if he is coaching ASU beyond the season, he very likely will be subjected to some sort of a a punishment, including suspensions of games and potentially even a show cause penalty, depending upon, um, what he, you know, how honest that he is with NCAA investigators based upon what they already uh, uh, appear to know to be the case. So, um, you know, at the same time, it's a lot of people wonder, well, how come ASU hasn't fired from Edwards already? And I, I understand that on one hand, but the, the other, the other hand, it, it is, uh, I don't think that, that the school is in a good position to hire anybody to replace Edwards right now, given the current sort of place that we're at from a cycle cycling standpoint. And when these coaching moves tend to happen, uh, anybody who would be a prospective new coach would have to know that um, they're they're dealing with some unpredictable things as it relates to the the, the NCAA investigation, and recruiting limitations, sanctions, things that you're walking into that could make it really difficult to ascertain how difficult that it actually might be uh, for the foreseeable future. And then, uh, if you're an ASU fan, do you really have a lot of confidence right now in Ray Anderson being the person who would be tasked with replacing Edwards, given that? Um, he had a close relationship with Edwards and appeared to not be able to anticipate that this um, sort of thing would happen or be able to prevent this sort of thing from happening administratively within the operation uh, at ASU under, under, his, under his watch. Um, so for all those reasons, it, it, it seems like to me at least, and this is analysis, not reporting, but uh, it may be smarter for ASU to wait for a while especially when you have a deadline this spring, at which point um, returning players are not able to transfer without having to sit out a year if you get past that, that, that stage. And so uh, if, if ASU made a move now, you could have a bunch of younger players transfer uh, more easily without having to sit out a year. And then ASU seemingly would still be extremely challenged to replace any of those in the 
2023 classes, which is recruiting right now um, through the end of this year and in February, the, the, the regular signing period with um, high school and junior college players. And of course, uh, we've talked about this previously, but ASU just signed its worst high school class uh, ever in terms of the Pac-12 ranking in the internet era. So the tw- last 20 or so years of 24-7 sports and other sites like it. Um, and it was uh, among like, the worst one or two or three schools in the, nationally in Power Five in uh, high school and junior college recruiting. And that, that was a direct result of the NCAA investigation and some of this coaching attrition that subsequently happened. Yeah, and so you've already mentioned a couple of things, including the sanctions, the impact on the coaches. You just mentioned recruiting, but to, to just go kind of more specifically into this, what is the level of significance that, you know, like how significantly is this investigation impacting the program as a whole at ASU? It's it's definitely going to have a major impact and potentially even um, be a catastrophic thing for ASU football because not only is ASU going to have in all likelihood a, a second bad high school class in a row after a, an average at best high school class the prior year and there have been some transfers from the higher ranked prospects from that class um, they will have a, they will have additional sanctions going on beyond this year and this is happening at a time when uh, a greater investment than ever is needed from boosters in support of college football programs due to the name, image, and likeness rules changes that essentially are allowing boosters to pay for recruits and giving them, uh, you know, uh, deals, you know, where they promote products or, appearances or you know whatever the case may be do social media posts um, in exchange for money what's happening is that for the first time in this this previous class um, you know recruits are now basically getting paid to go to school um, and they're some of them are seeking the highest bids and ASU just is not competing in this space remotely closely to most of the top 20 to 30 teams in the country are at this time. And Ray Anderson, even in his comments in the radio said that ASU wasn't going to be able to compete in those areas. Well, I think that had ASU boosters and fans felt great about the, where the program was at, both in terms of its leadership at the top administratively, and then also with where ASU football was going, they wouldn't be as uh, hesitant to try to pony up in those areas and collaboratively collaboratively work together to try to put some packages of money together for uh, top ASU recruiting targets. And um, so you you intersect these challenges that you have, plus ASU also um, cut no sports and didn't furlough anybody during the pandemic. And uh, as a result, ended up being among the top uh, schools and this dubious distinction of, of subsidizing the athletic department about as much as any in the country. I think ASU was in the top two or three in the, the, the highest uh, pure dollar uh, subsidization from the, the university. And that is something that you then have to sort of uh, reconcile in, in, in subsequent years. So 
you put all this together and then you have this hollowing out of football recruiting staffing because they had three staffers and now they're down to one because Ryan Rezac and Matt Seiler moved on. You have half the staff from last year is gone. A lot of coaches probably don't want to work for ASU right now because they see it as a, um, a one year thing, one year sort of endeavor. Uh, uh, and then, you know, there, there, there easily could be some hesitancy by better candidates to be interested in taking the ASU job subsequent to this. If Herm Edwards ends up losing his job, then there's a matter of whether ASU try is still willing to pay Edwards and or Ray Anderson when a case could be very clearly made that he should be fired with cause and not paid anything. So a lot more to still learn, but uh, when you have others in the Pac-12, USC, Oregon, uh, Washington, UCLA, better situated for what's t- currently taking place with NIL and and uh, other uh, important aspects of college football, uh, it seems increasingly unlikely that uh, ASU will be in a position to compete at the level that Ray Anderson has set forth as his expectations. Um, you know, several years ago when he fired Todd Graham and, and elected to hire Ray Anderson. I mean, Herm Edwards, pardon me. Yeah, it's it's certainly already not very close to the conclusion, as you said, a lot more to be reported on it. It's already been a lot that's been impacting the program and the team, and there's been some great reporting at Sun Level Source to make sure everyone's up to date on that. Do you anticipate additional details being reported on for the NCAA investigation? And is there anything else that our audience may want to kind of look forward to in terms of our coverage of this? Absolutely. I think um, there, well, first of all, there are many details as is always the case that I uh, have been told and heard and am vetting. And uh, I think that there's a good chance we'll be make their way into the public sphere uh, in coming weeks and months. And, and um, you know, what we have reported to this point is only just a portion of um, everything that has taken place and uh, during the the the, the uh, period of time that's being scrutinized here with ASU football and recruiting and there's obviously a lot more details that haven't that we haven't reported and, and haven't been out there and um, as I said at the beginning there's people that are now uh, have been very dismayed by some of the comments that have been made and so I, I do anticipate there will be additional um, reporting by us and probably by others that uh, provides even more sort of granular details about some of the things that transpired. And um, and again, this is something that I, I people want always ask me, like, are we getting close to the end of the tunnel here? And I don't think so. I think we're still very much in a dark middle point where we're not seeing the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel get bigger as uh as we progress. And I don't necessarily think that's going to happen for uh, much of this year. Yeah, there's certainly a lot more to come from this situation. That's going to be all we're going to talk about on this Sun Devil Source Report podcast, but we're going to have more for you. We're going to have one, another podcast for premium members uh, that is going to come out later this week. That's going to answer a lot of the questions that have been sent in. Uh, but that also includes deeper analysis of the investigation 
we just talked about. That will be a longer listen to this one, so it'll have a lot more detail. So if that's something you're interested, make sure to be on the lookout for that podcast. But for now, that was the Sun Devil Source Report podcast by Beneath the Writer, and I've been alongside Chris Cartman, and I hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening in.